You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So if you've been paying attention these last few weeks, you'll remember, recall that we're in a series on Galatians. We're going through the, the, the book of Galatians, and today is actually part five in a six-part series on Galatians. And also in your um, worship guide, there's a, a, a Bible study that you can use during the week. And so to just reinforce this, you want to spend some, some time this week reflecting on things that we're talking about today and a little bit more just to help you go a little bit deeper and spend a little bit more time in what we're, what we're talking about here. But as if you remember from some of the weeks, uh, if I, I'll just recap a little bit, that Galatians is call a circular letter. There was a group of churches in a region, which is in present-day Turkey, that this letter was sent to. It went to one church. They would read it and pass along to the next church, and then they would read it and pass along and so forth until all the churches in that region were had a chance to read and interact with the letter. Uh, Paul spent the first part of his letter essentially establishing his apostleship. He wasn't part of the 12. And so for some, they were questioning, who are you and why do you have this? Why do you think you have this authority to be able to communicate with us and write this letter and talk like you're talking? So he established that in the first part of his letter. The the next couple chapters, he defended what he referred to as his gospel. Now, this wasn't contrary to the gospel of Christ. It actually what was new was this idea that you don't have to follow the law. Prior to that point, the gospel came from Jewish people from a Jewish backgrounds and traditions. And so for them, following the Jewish customs and traditions were just what they did. And so that was and so having faith in Christ was was a transformation. But it wasn't as if they just stopped becoming Jewish at that point in time. But now we get to this point where Gentiles are coming to Christ in large numbers. And all right, what happens to them? And what had and so Paul was. we know that there was a problem, that there were some people from Jerusalem who had come to the area and were saying, in order for you to be truly Christian, for, for God to truly love you, you've got to now follow the Mosaic Law. And as we, we actually mentioned last week, there's 613 of them that we see in the Bible. They created hundreds of other subcategories uh, dealing with all kinds of things. So the, the law was very, very prevalent within their culture. But Paul was saying, listen, that's not, that's not the way we want to be going. And, and uh, we, we spent a, a couple of our sessions discussing parts of that. Then last week, we looked at this idea that the law can help you live a righteous life, but it can't help you be righteous. And for me, what was a very helpful understanding or analogy, and, and I, if you remember, I alluded to this idea of, of the medieval time periods where you have kings and queens roaming the earth, especially throughout Europe. And, and you could be a, a, a landowner of substantial holdings, a very incredibly powerful and wealthy. But if you were not royal, if you didn't have royal blood running through your veins, you never had ultimate power and authority. You were always a little step below. Contrast that with somebody who might be a third cousin to the king, but because they had royal blood in their veins, they had incredible authority and power. And the idea here is that when we come to Christ, there is this blood transfusion that happens, and that we're no longer trying to work 
to attain the power and prestige and authority and things. We have it by virtue of the blood that's running through our veins as well. Because we are now sons and daughters of the King and Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's what makes us holy then and there. And so that's an exciting thing. Jesus Christ came to reveal the love of God and provide the way for the grace of God so that we might be free. Free from the demands of the law, free from the penalty of sin, and free from the life of grace. If you have your Bibles, or if you want to watch on screen, we're actually going to be reading a section from chapter 5 of Galatians, verses 13 through 26. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Father, that we have a chance to um, dig a little deeper and explore, explore a little more uh, the words of Paul. And so, Lord, give us insight. Help us to understand. May your Spirit speak truth uh, to us this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember in week one, I mentioned that sometimes in Paul's letters, he doesn't speak directly what, what the context is going on in the situation. Um, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say in his front of his letter, he says, I'm writing to you because. So, you know, and so we have to sometimes infer what he's writing about or what's going on in the context based upon what he's actually writing about. Now, in Galatians, he does tell us very explicitly that, that there was the Judaizers, people coming from Jerusalem, trying to convince them that they needed to follow the law, and that they needed to do this if they really wanted to be right with God. But what he doesn't tell us is why were they doing this? Why were these people, why did they feel the need to come from Jerusalem into the region of Galatia and try to convince all the new believers that they needed to follow the law? Any thoughts? I'll open this up. 
Interesting. Jealous of their freedom? I thought idea. Any other thoughts? Control? Okay. Okay. Yeah, we, we clearly get the sense from his writings that this that they actually believe this. This was there's a deep conviction of theirs. Any other thoughts? Maybe they thought that the um, the, the message of the gospel was in Okay. 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 Right. Okay. What in all of all everything you all of you have said has been very good and, and very much are, could be a part of that, because Paul's not real clear. He doesn't specifically say here's why they are coming down. What we can infer from some things, or at least what I'm going to tell you, I think we can infer from these things, um, is that the Galatians were having problems with moral restraint. That that there um, there was this pre-conversion behaviors, very common in the culture, that were continuing on in this life, of, even after they would put their faith in Jesus. And so to the, these people from Jerusalem, in their mind, they needed boundaries. They needed some parameters around us to help them stay within their, their lanes, if you will. Really, I think some of you mentioned, they were trying to be helpful. They thought they were doing what was right and what was good. I'm going to illustrate it this way. Um, I, uh, if, uh, Connor, if you could actually put it up on the screen. Okay, stop it right there. Stop it. Okay. What you're going to see here is um, this is a road in India. Okay. I don't know if any of you have traveled through Southeast Asia. Um, it, it's, um, it, it's interesting. So what you've got here is you've, this is a two-lane road. Now, it's British in its driving orientation, so they're driving on the left side, and the oncoming traffic is coming on the right side, and you've got a shoulder on each side. So you've got a shoulder, lane, lane, shoulder. Okay? So watch. Connor. All right, you get the point? Yeah. Um, bring back nightmares, Betsy. I actually had a friend, we were over there driving, he literally was hiding on the floor. Because um, that, was, that was relatively slow driving. That was not fast. We, we were, it's, uh, it, is, it is scary. Um, lanes are merely suggestions. Okay. You don't, uh, if you want to do it, it's okay. If you don't, you want to do it. I really wanted to show you a different video. Um, I found this one on YouTube, and it was a Canadian bus driver driving a large truck over there. 
but there was just way too much swearing. I, I just, I didn't feel it would be appropriate to show you. It was hilarious. If, if you could overlook the swearing, it was, it was so funny because of just his response to what was going on. But here's the thing. If, if you've been in India enough and been on the roads enough, there is a rationality to the process. Now, you can't see it because your eyes are not trained to look for it. Um, but, but for us, it just looks like organized chaos. And what, what's funny was, was because no one's staying in their lanes, are they? Everyone's all over the place. And this, this Canadian bus driver, uh, you know, he, you just hear him the commentary as he was talking about this. He, was, he, was, he didn't actually come out and say this, but what he was implying was that things would be so much easier if everyone just stayed in their lanes. Just stay in your lanes. And, and really what he was saying is that things would be so much easier if you would drive like I do. And this is what the Judaizers were doing. Okay? So they were just like this bus driver. They were convinced that the lives of the Gentile believers were chaotic and messy. And they were. But from their perspective, the law provides you with traffic lanes for life. If you, if you follow the law or stay in your lane, you will live a godly life. If you don't follow the law, you will fall prey to all of the immoral influences around you and continue to live in sin. So in this response, what we've seen in the past few weeks is Paul continues to say, it's, it's, you know, exclaiming, yelling, shouting, calling them names, literally calling them foolish, saying, no, this is not what we want to do. To submit to the law puts you on a path that does not work. It's already been tried. It leads to failure. There is a better way. You don't need the law to guide you in life. You need only to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So if you live by the law, you are depending on your flesh to try to be right with God. If you live by the Spirit, you are depending upon the Spirit to produce the likeness of Christ in your life. So how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives then? Becomes for me a logical question. One way is that the Spirit enables us to fulfill the law of love. It allows us to fulfill the law of love. Both Paul and the Judaizers believed that the faith in Jesus carried with it an obligation. They both believed this. But the Judaizers believed that we should be obligated to follow the Mosaic law, the laws of Moses. Only the law could provide the moral standard necessary to live a life pleasing to God. Paul, on the other hand, believed that we should be obligated to love. Love expressed in service to one another. A love grounded in and guided by the Holy Spirit. Not only does the Spirit bring us into a new realm of spiritual existence, the Spirit also sensitizes the believer to what is contrary to God's will. The Holy Spirit gives the believer an internal standard of values. And the Holy Spirit enables the believer to do what is good for the benefit of others. Put another way, the Judaizers were accusing the new believers of using grace as an excuse to indulge their selfish, immoral desires. In response, Paul was exhorting the people to use their freedom in Christ as motivation to love and serve one another. I have a friend who, um, 
we got in this conversation once about the idea of a bucket list. You know, there's things you want to do before you die kind of a thing. He hates the idea. For the simple reason is it's entirely self-absorbed, selfish type of thing. And I said, I'm a little more tolerant of it if you said, here's like if you're married, say, all right, here's what I'd like to do with my wife. Like you're sharing it with someone or or somebody else. But this idea of, you know, just doing it for yourself is just your self-gratification. He's, he, he doesn't, you know, so we always talk about bucket lists. Now, just to, just to pick on him because they know we don't like it. Now, for me, that's going a little too far. Okay, I, and I get what he's saying, and I understand what he's talking about, and I don't disagree with it, but for him, it's a personal conviction. And I, to be honest with you, I believe it's a personal conviction given to him by the Holy Spirit. For him. Doesn't mean it's always for us, but that's what following and leading, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's an individualized communication and standard. You know what the biggest appeal to following the Mosaic Law is? It actually makes a lot of sense. It makes life so much more simple in some ways. You don't have to think about things. If it says do this, you do it. If it says don't do that, you don't do it. You don't have to think about anything. To listen to the Holy Spirit requires intentionality and effort. It may require us to live our life different than those around us, even other Christians. The Holy Spirit will treat us as an individual. There are no, the Holy Spirit does, there is no cookie cutter approach to discipleship for the Holy Spirit. It's individualized, crafted discipleship program. But it means that we have to listen for ourselves. We have to wrestle with what he might ask us to do. But that's also the exciting part. Um, because when we're being led by the Spirit, we never know what's around the corner. <laughs> you didn't have to say that so loud. <laughs> it is a good thing. We don't know what's around the corner, nor do we know how he might use us. And that is an exciting thing. So that's one way that uh, the Holy Spirit um, does or works in our lives. Second way is that the Spirit enables us to overcome the flesh. Verse 19 to 21, Paul talks about over or talks about acts of the flesh. <laughs> I'm sorry. He talks about he identifies 15 different acts of the flesh, and then he ends with and the like. What, is, what does that tell us? There's more. Okay? The list is not exhaustive. Okay? He wasn't trying to say, here's the finite list. It is, it's just, he, so the fact he listed 15 is, is very telling. The common feature among all of these is that they're manifestations of ego and self-centeredness. They're all about me. At their core, they're all about people wanting to live life their own way. Now, contrast those 15 with the nine fruits of the Spirit that he mentions. And given the fact that the, the other list wasn't exhaustive, I think a case could be made that the fruits of the Spirit is not exhaustive. There may be more than nine, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, I realize for some of us that's heresy, but I think the, Paul leaves us some room uh, to think that might be true. But here, the common feature among the fruits of the Spirit is a posture of selflessness and a concern for others. 
Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They've stopped thinking about themselves and started living for the benefit of others. <clears throat> when uh, my kids, none of our kids really dated in high school. You know, they went to the prom and did some things, but they never really had a boyfriend, girlfriend. Uh, so I went away to college. I had this conversation probably with all of them at one point in time. Um, <clears throat> since, I'll just use my sons. Uh, when you're, if you're dating a girl, pay attention to how she talks about her dad. And I said, does she talk, you know, she, is she disrespectful about him? Does she tear him down or does she admire him? Does she talk positively? And like with my daughter, I would say, pay attention to how he talks about his mom. And I said, and I, said, and I, said I realize there's all different variables, but basically that's their default for how they're going to treat you. It's the attitude. It's a learned behavior and how we, we often do that. <clears throat> But I also told, actually, I'm feeling kind of bad and embarrassed for saying what I'm going to say next. But and I would tell my sons this, and, um, and I would say, now listen, this isn't always the case. And I'd say there's always exceptions. There's, you know, so I'm, I preface the conversation by, by making sure that there was an out. But I would say... Um, Take, you know, as you're, especially if you meet this, this young woman's mother, you know, and family, just pay attention and observe. Since most of us become our parents, observe where this young woman might be in 30 years. Again, I'm not proud of it um, that I said this. <laughs> So a couple of years ago, my son was uh, talking to us, and, and he, he, there, he had been dating a girl he really liked, and she broke up with him. <clears throat> and uh, I was feeling really bad for him and just, you know, you know just really praying. And saying, you know, Lord, just, you know, you know as a, this stage of parenting is so much harder than when they're little. Because you, have, you thought you had control then. You do have some, but at this stage, you have none. And it's just, so I'm praying, God, I don't know how to help him, and... I believe the Holy Spirit brought that conversation back to my mind. <clears throat> and says, what if that young woman made a decision on your son based upon a picture she saw of you? And at the point in time, I was significantly heavier than what I was even now. And that was terrible, terrible thought for me. And so very... Um, because I was so convicted that over the next few months I lost more than 60 pounds. Because, not because it was my health or because, you know, it was because I didn't want this to negatively affect my son. I never looked at it from that perspective. The idea that maybe my behaviors were negatively affecting someone I cared about and loved. Okay, now, we, now let's talk. And that's what Paul's trying to tell them here. He said, listen. Your relationships with other people matter. You may not always see the impact, what, how you behave towards others does, but it does matter. So rather than behaving in a way that's selfish and self-absorbed so that you're happy and you're pleased, why don't you take a step back and say, how is this affecting other people? And live your life that benefits them. Overcoming the flesh becomes much more important when we realize how much our behaviors impact those closest to us. So number three, the Spirit enables us to produce 
God uh, to produce God glorifying fruit. Um, we have a friend. Her name is is Vicky. Uh, can I have that first picture, Connor? Vicky is. Uh, I can tell already. Um, whatever. Okay, Vicky is a mission. She's a medical missionary in South Sudan. Any of you know anything about South Sudan? They don't come much worse. They don't come much worse from the level of poverty, the circumstances. Here's her thing: leprosy. Okay, so that's those are her clientele in South Sudan. Okay, so I got uh, this past week. I got a um, uh, her newsletter. So I gave him an email. So let me read a portion uh, to you. <clears throat> Radia, which is the name of a woman. So Radia, an elderly refugee uh, from a neighboring area, was recently diagnosed with leprosy. <clears throat> her daughter, who is a Christian, brought her to our clinic for treatment. A few days later, the leprosy team went to visit her in the refugee camp like we do for many of our new patients. It was so sad to see her living in a shelter with no protection from the rain. Her daughter's husband and his family were scared of her leprosy. They forbid the children to go near her. It would not eat with her. The situation put the daughter in a difficult place with her husband and his family, but she wanted to help her mother. We spent time explaining to the family how difficult it is to catch leprosy from the mom, especially since she is on treatment. They admitted they did not know this and promised to be kinder to her. <clears throat> we asked if we could come to their community for a short leprosy awareness training and we have a plan to do so later this month. The next paragraph, if I have the next picture, she said, I continue to meet the women at the, the Doro, which is the village where she's at, the Doro Church, to read the Bible to them on Friday afternoons. We are in Genesis and reading about Noah. Most weeks, anywhere from 6 to 12 women will come, and I'm enjoying getting to know our neighbors better. I continue to study Arabic, and I'm understanding more than before, Speaking is a bit more difficult, but I do entertain our clinic staff when I attempt to speak short sentences. <laughs> uh, before, she's been in South Sudan uh, probably, what, 10 years? Um, eight years, 10 years. Prior to that, she was in Zimbabwe, um, another impoverished country, just very difficult place to live. Um, she's never married. Um, what you need to know about Vicky is about 15 years ago, her dad sold his business to a Russian conglomerate for over $800 million. Vicky does not need to serve the poor in South Sudan. She doesn't have to live in shelters made of mud bricks. She, has, she doesn't have to evacuate to neighboring Kenya a couple times a year when the Civil War gets too close. <clears throat> okay, I'm better. Okay, but Vicki, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has learned to fulfill the law of love, overcome the flesh, and produce God-glorifying fruit. Now, hear me. What I'm not saying is the way to properly engage the Holy Spirit is to give up everything and become a medical missionary to South Sudan. Okay? I'm nowhere even wanting to get close to that. But that's what the Judaizers would have said. That if you want to be really spiritual, you've got to do something legalistic or something over the top or something really weird. 
Okay? What I am saying is that only the Holy Spirit can give us the freedom from sin and self and empower us to live a vibrant faith. Vicki does what she does because she can't conceive of doing anything else. This is what the Holy Spirit has called her to do, and she is thrilled to do it. So let me close with this thought. <clears throat> For years now, I've, uh, I've heard and read that young people are leaving the church in droves. <clears throat> As they grow into adulthood, that they're, just, they're, they're walking away from church. And I don't believe it's the result of an immoral cultural influence. I don't think it's the negative stuff that's out there that's impacting them. In my opinion, it's because we, the church, have not properly modeled for them what a spirit-filled life in Christ is all about. We haven't shown them what life is, why life, this life is worth living. They clearly do not want the life of religious legalism. I mean, who does? But they're also looking for a faith that is alive and real and touches every part of their life. First Corinthians, Paul, in another letter to another group of people, He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So I'd like to end our time with a question. Is your spiritual life one that others would want to follow? Is your spiritual life one that others would want to follow? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for... um, this letter from Paul and his words of exhortation and of communication, the fact that he recognized before all the others did at the time of what legalism, what following the law would do down the road. And that it was, it may have looked innocent and may have actually even looked helpful, helpful in the eyes of those who are trying to, to get it into the Gentiles. But Lord, he recognized that this was a destructive path. Lord, we we benefit, we're the beneficiaries of that, even today. But Lord, we also find out that that freedom that we have in Christ has an obligation, that we have, Lord, an obligation to listen and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that if we want freedom, there's responsibility that comes with that. And Father, my prayer is that our lives would be a reflection of what Paul talks about, that we live our lives... in in service to other people, that we live our lives in a way that others would benefit, that we would live our lives in a way that others would want to follow. Lord, I also realize that few of us probably feel like we can measure up. And uh, I would suspect most of us are not really comfortable with that idea. But Lord, it's, it's a simple fact that people are watching, people are observing, whether it's our children, our neighbors, co-workers, People are watching. People notice. So, Lord, help us to be intentional. Help us to be intentional about leading. Help us to be intentional about listening to your spirit. And, Lord, then give give us the courage to act and do the things that you might be calling us to do. So, Lord, we do this, Lord, not with uh, this weight of conviction in the sense of, of, of guilt, but, Lord, we do this with this sense of conviction that you indeed are calling each of us to follow you. What an amazing thing that you call us to follow you. So, Lord, I would just pray for each one that's hearing my voice, that in this coming week, 
we would be conscious of those opportunities that are presented to us, whether it's just a, a stranger crossing our path, whether it's a co-worker who stops in for a conversation, uh, whether it's a child who's interrupting us for the fifth time this day. Um, Lord, may we be conscious of your presence in their life and your working. Uh, so, Lord, make us people that uh, are not just obedient, Lord God, but full of your grace, full of your power, and full of your love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. <clears throat> Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.